Welcome to the Performance Connection Podcast, the show where we connect you to the highest quality information and leading professionals in the world of human performance. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of the Performance Connection Podcast. Today, I am joined by the fitness maverick himself, Gareth Sapstead. Gareth, how are you, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's great to have you on. I think you are my first truly international guest. You are in the UK at this moment. I know you're, you go to come to the States quite a bit. And I did have Shane McLean on. So yes, okay. he is Australian, but he has been in the US for long enough that we'll just consider him American. <laughs> So no, great to absolutely great to have you on. And Gareth, before we dive into the episode uh, topic today, why don't you go ahead and tell the listener your background, what you've done professionally, and then what you're doing currently? Yeah, cool. So how far back do we go? I've always been obsessed with the gym. Okay. So everything about the gym. So I started when I was maybe 14 years old, one of those middle barbells in your bedroom, floor pressing at that age. And, and I think I was glute bridging at that age as well, which was start. rare for a 14 year old. On top of that funny story, I think as a 14 year old, I actually went to one of the local drugstores and managed to get some creatine. Okay. And yeah, so I hid this creatine underneath my bed and then my mum found the creatine, wondered what it was, white powder, end up calling the doctors. So there, there's plenty of little stories like that about <laughs> little Gareth telling out his own weight journey. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then that kind of culminated into becoming a qualified fitness instructor and personal trainer. So as a fitness instructor, you can in the UK be a fitness instructor from 16 years old but you can't coach people directly. So you can instruct mm. around the gym, but you can't coach directly. You can't personal train. And then I was a personal trainer from 18 years old in like a bit of a, a big box gym in the UK. And then that was all at the same time as I was doing my undergraduate degree that was in sport and exercise science. And then my master's degree after that as well, which was in strength and conditioning. Mm. And throughout that, I was in the gym so I was in a big box gym or there was a period of time I was at a studio as well. So I was coaching a lot of average Jills and average Joes that, let's be honest, mostly want to look great naked and, and feel good. Okay, So they're mostly chasing body composition goals or maybe some of the older clients chasing you know, longevity and, and, and the strength aspect. But then at the same time, now the reason I went to college was actually because I wanted to become a strength and conditioning coach. Sure. Throughout college, on top of personal training, I was also working with internships, premiership rugby academies, football and you know, soccer, ice hockey mm-hmm. in the UK, which is a thing in the UK. There were various <laughs> teams I was, yeah. was working with from a strength and conditioning perspective. And so I got a mix of both. Yeah, and for sure. Once I finished my uh, master's degree, various internships which as in the industry you don't get paid for internships so you get all these internships to kind of build up your your cv but you know you, you've still got to get paid so that's why i was kind of doing the personal training as well at the same yep. time yeah for sure um, after my master's degree i ended up being a full-time strength and conditioning coach within a rugby club i was the head of youth performance a really high level rugby club oh nice i enjoyed that for a period of time as well as working with some athletes one-to-one so some quite high level Mm. senior athletes one-to-one but taking them into a gym to do work with them as well so i was doing a lot of outdoor stuff a lot of saq stuff outdoors and, and things like that but then also doing a lot of gym work and then I just came to a realization one day that I just enjoyed being in the gym more than I did outdoors. I didn't, especially in the UK with soccer in the, in the winter, it's not the most fun doing sure. plyometric speed drills, things like that on rock hard grass, or just cause one of the setups, one of the academies I was working with, half my morning was spent wheeling a bunch of trap bars, plates, etc out onto the grounds to get 
45 minutes tops with a bunch of athletes to spend the rest of the day taking everything back. It was great because I was doing farmer's carries and loaded carries. Right, yeah. Farmer's calories. But it wasn't my idea of getting the best results for my athletes and also my time. So I figured out I like being in the gym more. But then I also figured out that I liked um, training people that wanted to get in great shape more. And and my goals, so I I was an academy rugby player myself for a high-level academy. So I probably into about 18 was training for performance myself, just performance. There was not really any aesthetic side to it. There was maybe three extra sets of bicep curls at the end of an upper body <laughs> workout sometimes, like yeah. a little bit of bonus guns. That was about it, really. And then once I finished sport myself, it just, I think I just realized that what I'm training for is just to feel good about myself and to use the term all the time to, to look great naked. So my training switched that direction as well on top of training people that primarily wanted to focus on that as a goal. Fast forward, you know, 15 years or so. So I've been coaching for 15 years, actually full-time coaching out out of college for 15 years. So that was throughout college as well. And I've worked with, I dread to think how many people. I was was in a gym doing, you know, 60 one-to-one, hour sessions a week for three years in a row monday mm. to sometimes sundays without any holidays or vacations but i was single i enjoyed yep. it mm-hmm. <laughs> I absolutely had no, I had no commitments i the money was nice sure at the time but i was kind of killing myself mm-hmm. by doing that and then basically i gradually said various things happened on the line Opened up a gym with someone else. The gym didn't work out. It was kind of a CrossFit style gym. It was about 12,000 square feet, large amount of indoor grass there and lifting platforms and things like that. So it was a really great setup. But myself and the, the, the two other people that invested in it and built it, we just didn't get along as people. Yeah, that's an so issue. It, it just didn't work out. I kind of got out of that. Another person got out of that as well. And then I think it was maybe six years ago now, maybe seven, I wanted to transition into the online space. Yep. And I wanted to transition into the online space because, to be honest, I enjoyed the flexibility of being online. Mm-hmm. And also I was very interested in just the, the business side of it as well and how that works. At the same time, I was starting to get published in magazines and online magazines like tnation.com men's health live strong muscle and fitness muscle, muscle and strength bunch of places as well and kind of that's all kind of added up throughout the years so i've had a bigger online presence and that bigger online presence just kind of worked with the what need to be able to scale what you're doing and be able to work mm-hmm. with more people yeah you have to go online if that's what you want to do Yep. So I haven't been a, I'd say, a consistent in-person coach. I haven't coached, say, more than a few people each week outside of me going somewhere that's out of my way or filming content around them. I probably haven't done that for about three years or so. Yeah, uh, I might train someone out of my garage every now and then just because I enjoy it. But right. you know, it, it's, not, it's not what I do anymore. Yep. And as I said, most of my clients are online. Most yep. of my clients are from from the US, strangely. Well, not strangely, but to, because most of them are high-level competitors. Yeah. Right? So a lot of I, mostly IFBB pros, mostly a lot of figure competitors, some wellness competitors, some bikini competitors as well. And then I also employ coaches as well, which work for me. And then those coaches deal with, so while I'm dealing with the elite clients, yep. mm-hmm. so the the robots out there that will literally do exactly whatever you tell them to do, <laughs> mm-hmm. so I'm dealing with them. And then mm-hmm. I've got some coaches that work with what you call lifestyle clients, so lifestyle transformations, so sustainable weekend warriors, people that want to fit things about around their work, maybe have got their first 10 pounds to lose instead of their last 10 pounds to lose for example 
Yep. And then also, you know, I've got a coach that works with photo shoot clients and transformation kind of clients as well at the same time. So yeah. my time is kind of spent coaching my small group of elite people yep. on top of managing that as a business and the coaching side of things, as well as content creation as well. And, and content king and helps with everything and being published author with human kinetics massively helps with with the credibility as well mm -hmm. as and obviously the various other articles and, and things that are out there as well yeah. on top of social media i keep on top of social media it's not one i'd say i absolutely love mm -hmm. i probably spend most of my time on instagram out of all of them it's just one that's just happened to have grown in terms of a following on there which is quite cool i post consistently um but I'm not someone that's obsessed with it. I don't, I very rarely scroll through my feed. I'm literally post, post and dump. Post, come, get in, get out. Get in, get out. Like actually, I've replied to people, ask questions. I talk to, I actually properly engage conversations with people yeah. in there yeah. as well, which is always nice. So I'd rather spend time doing that and engaging with people and having proper conversations rather yeah. than just endlessly scrolling through social media, absorbing different pieces of information, et cetera. So I'm super careful with who I follow as well. So yep. I follow fellow professionals that, mm -hmm. you know, that, that I get along well with and we communicate all the time. So it's kind of like that supporting each other thing as yeah, well as awesome. lear learning off of each other. And yeah. then I, I follow my clients and that's about it. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's so awesome. That's, that's the shortened version of how we got here. Interesting you say, I spent some time in the US. I'm actually flying out this Friday. Yeah, tomorrow night. Yep. To run, basically running like boot camps, workshops in Colorado Springs. I've got a bunch of my athletes, a bunch of my athlete pros flying in from all over the States. So we're just going to smash out some good workouts for 10 days and probably not leave any room for me to see any sites. But it'll be a good, it'll be a good time. And I will be coaching literally from 9 a.m. until about 7 p.m every yeah. single day of the week so yeah should be fun that's very cool and that's a very cool background and honestly i listened to it and it, there's a lot of natural progressions there i think a lot of especially people who come up in in the more like team athletic side strength and conditioning i had a very similar story to you where yeah you, that, that, those early years you're doing your internships you're getting your master's degree you're single or you're you don't have you're not married or have kids so the hours are fine i got into personal training and i was getting home at 9 9 p.m. and then i'm back in the gym the next morning at 4 a.m. and uh, you just can't sustain that and so it's just natural progression to move on to something else that's a little more flexible and whatnot but you highlighted it, but if you didn't, I was going to bring it up, is your writing. You're such a prolific writer through T Nation. And as you mentioned, you have a book with Human Kinetics, Ultimate Abs. And that's how I got to know you. Like I knew you, that's how I knew you got to know you through your writing. And I'm glad that you talked about your athletic background though, because I, I don't know how many people would know that about you just based on what you're doing today. But that I think that sets you up really well to talk about today's topic which is kind of chasing or attaining performance-based goals and physique-based goals at the same time and like how we would go about doing that. And the first question I kind of want to ask you is, what was your experience with this in the realm of athletics? Because particularly hypertrophy and the importance of hypertrophy in team-based sports, I would say even the collision sports to a degree American football, rugby, it's getting a little contentious as to the importance of it. Like, do, should actual and direct hypertrophy training that would lead to some more body composition changes? How important is that for us to do strictly from performance perspective? Like, yes, there's like a lot of people tie a, an injury prevention or injury reduction aspect to the collision sports just from a quote unquote body armor perspective. But from performance, like, you know, soccer, I'm thinking like tennis, like these other golf or whatever, it's almost like, well, you just don't even need to do it. Like, why would you do it? Just what was your experience with that when you were going through it? And has that changed with, or has that changed over the years? Yeah, good question. 
It's something that varies sport by sport, and it varies depending on how much of an understanding the sports coach has of that sport as well. So I'll give you an example. Rugby is probably the sport in the UK that has, I mean, in the world, that has truly embraced strength training and doing work inside the gym. And I think that's come as a natural progression because you've got to be strong. <laughs> you've got to be able to throw things around, you, uh, throw people around. You've got to be able to absorb impact, absorb force, and, and generate a lot of force as well. So it kind of came very naturally to rugby, and a lot of rugby coaches um, have, have embraced that and, and would give you more, t- as a strength and conditioning coach, would give you more time in the gym. Versus, yeah. say, a football or soccer coach. Okay. Now, I work with a few very high level soccer academies in the UK and also senior teams. And the structure, and again, it depends on who the manager of the football team is as well. So I'll give you an example. I work with names. There was an Italian manager at a club that I, I worked for. My job was in uh, the off season. So the, all the players that were still in the squad were doing their off-season training in Italy. So they flew them all over to Italy. Mm-hmm. All the uh, players that were on transfer going to a different club, i.e. we're not going to invest in you anymore. I was the person keeping them ticking over doing their strength and conditioning work whilst they were back at home in the UK and everyone else is in Italy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I had, a, I had a group of you know, very elite people there. And they had the best time of their lives developing strength, mm. etc in the gym whereas because i had control over that whereas the rest of the year the rest of the season for the other players where the manager was in control and allocated time to different coaches skills coaches mission coaches etc you would be lucky to get maybe 20 minutes of work with them and you'd even hear things like why do you strength work why lift weights it will make them slower you'd hear those kind of things a lot within football, within soccer. Sure. Uh, so it, it's taken a long time. and It's starting to get there in soccer. Coaches are embracing it a little bit more, having fitness coaches that I remember probably seven to 10 years ago, most fitness coaches at a football club were basically just, their job was as a sports scientist, okay? Then as an applied strength and conditioning coach. So their job was mostly checking hydration status and tea samples, taking bloods, things like that. Maybe, maybe they're lucky tracking them with GPS and seeing what the numbers were like and their output was like. So they were kind of doing more that stuff and more yeah. data people yep. versus our actual strength and conditioning coaches that have the applied knowledge and experience to actually see the changes that, that, that we want to be seeing. But back to your question, I think, most, if not all, young athletes can benefit from some hypertrophy work. And we're talking, we're not talking a 12-year-old here. <laughs> we're talking, <laughs> let's say we're talking an, an, an under 21, okay? Yeah. Especially for a guy and during that period of time between, you know, 16 to 21, testosterone levels are super high. We, we, we're developing naturally. We might as well make the most of that. So if you're a rugby player at that age, it's the best age to put on some mass, but obviously useful mass that will then obviously translate, translate or transfer into more force production by doing that kind of training, more power production, doing that kind of training. So, and within that age as well, there's some research out there on it actually that more strength based work, i.e., where maximal strength development is your goal, mm-hmm. will actually improve power output or high velocity work it would improve it faster than actually doing high velocity power-based work in a young athlete in someone say that's 16 years old if you want them to develop power and rate of force development you're better off doing strength focused work than you are actual power-based work so by power-based work so for people that understand power-based work could mean plyometric drills sort of fast hitting the fast stretch running cycle so for example like ladder drills hops and bounds and things like that but then also things that hit that slow stretch shortening cycle like 
counter movement jumps, box jumps, jumps with a bar on your back, things like that. That's all power work. So even though that stuff does develop power in your youth athlete, actually it's the strength work that's going to have that that impact on that force velocity curve. Right. So I think part of the contentiousness in the strength conditioning world and soccer is actually a really good example. So I'd like to run with that if we could, because soccer is such a strength and power sport. You need to be very fast. You need to have the capacities to change direction. You need to jump. Yet, you don't need to have the same body armor level that a rugby player would or a football player, an American football player would. But you still got to be robust. You know, yeah. there's still collisions. There's still, you know, you think about ACL tear prevention. You still have to have some level of robustness against those types of injuries. And so classic strength and conditioning, you know, we have this hypertrophy phase, which leads into a strength phase, which leads into a power phase. And at the same time, speed doesn't really seem to be linked very or correlate very well with really either, either max strength or, and sometimes hypertrophy could be detrimental. So my question to you is, how would you structure, again, thinking about this soccer player, 21-ish years old, a collegiate athlete, maybe end of their high school years? How in general would you structure their hypertrophy training? But in general, obviously, like this is a theoretical example. And then let's kind of use that to lead into how you would do it for maybe a strength and power sport athlete. So like a powerlifter or an Olympic weightlifter or someone like that. So how would you go about in general structuring hypertrophy work for like a soccer player? So let's say we, we got a soccer player in through the door. What I would do is some kind of needs analysis on them and put together a battery test. Mm-hmm. I'm a big one into testing and assessment and just see where they're at, right? So we might choose a, a strength test, a power test, a speed test. We might do some anthropometry stuff, get their body fat levels, et cetera, all right? Now, obviously, there's different tests that you can do for that. and We can argue which tests are more valid, sure. whatever, okay? But we've got a battery, battery of tests the in theory test what we're looking at okay so as part of that needs analysis we're comparing where they are right now to where they should be okay so we've already mm. set targets for where they should be so for example if they're a 21 year old academy player okay we might be looking at academy players at a slightly higher level academy somewhere else or we might be looking at where, you know, because in soccer, 21 is, you know, you're in the senior team at 21 mm. for most people anyway. So we're yeah. actually comparing them to some of the elites of, uh, in their position with, within, those, within those squads. So we're comparing them then. So when we say what type of training we would do with them and how we would structure hypertrophy power strength training, we would look at where they're at right now and where their biggest deficit is, Okay. When it comes to soccer, they are really great because they've spent so much time doing speed drills. They're really good at them, okay? So if you did something as simple as like a T-test or a zigzag drill with them or like a 5, 10, and 30-meter sprint or something, they're probably going to be pretty good, okay? And the athletes that have spent more time doing that stuff themselves are going to be better at that as well but what they're probably going to be worse at is the you do see some players with poor anthropometry you do see some carrying higher body fat levels than the, what they should flat mm-hmm. lower muscle mass than what they should and that's because they can kind of get away with it they're doing so many miles each week on the field that they can get away with eating junk as well and if they spill over a little bit and get a little bit chubby it's, it's not a big deal at, at, at some levels sure. some very neat players like when wayne rooney when he played he was a bit chunky mm-hmm. um, and there was a few was it, was it roberto carlos for brazil i think he was a little bit chunky but anyways there's a yeah, lot sure. of players out there that are probably pushing the chunky there are also a heck of a lot of players that are just you know, slightly over the body fat levels that we want to be. So anyway, we're taking it back down to what they actually need to develop. So with soccer, 
we're probably mostly going to see their guy need to improve some kind of anthropometry or their physique, basically. Sure. Maybe yeah. they need to carry a little bit more muscle mass or a little bit less body fat or a little bit of both. Okay. Um, and then they probably are also showing very weak in the strength tests, in the strength and maybe the the medium velocity kind of kind of area of things. So they're mm-hmm. great at jumping, but if you gave them a, a small load to jump with, they probably wouldn't be great at jumping with that small load. So you would see automatically that those are the areas that they need to improve on. So that's what you spend most of your time doing. And then the idea is that you're doing the things that they're worse at to bring up their weaknesses rather than just, especially in football and in soccer, constantly doing the outdoor drills and speed drills and plyometric drills that they were probably doing when they were 10, 12 years old. The thing that's actually going to improve their performance most is going to be the strength work and also improve their body composition as well. By improving their body composition, it could mean that if you're, 12% 12% body fat, okay, and you're carrying that amount of weight, it's probably a little bit or a little bit too much. So mm-hmm. if we chip down that body fat percentage whilst maintaining, if not gaining some muscle tissue at the same time, then you're going to be more efficient. Your running economy is going to improve massively. Yeah. Uh, you might be a little bit lighter, but let's imagine we did a recomp and your weight similar. But then also, you just generally got to be in, in better shape. You're carrying less dead weight because mm-hmm. that is just dead weight for that athlete. So mm-hmm. body composition is going to be super important and that will have an effect on everything else. It might just simply be, though, that we use more of like a conjugated style of training where we start out with maybe some power work. We probably know that this athlete needs to spend most of their time in the gym to see improvements out there because they've spent so much time out there. Okay. So we spend more time in the gym and we can, we'd be doing some power drills and some plyo drills in the gym. We can be doing our maximum strength, our max days with deadlift squats, whatever we're going to be using. But then as part of that as well, probably within the same workout, even just from thinking about how football structures their week, we'd be including some hypertrophy in that session as well. So to give you an example, we might get that player in the gym and he might start out with some, some primer type work, kind of potentially the nervous system, et cetera. So low-level plyo drills work really great for that. Box jumps really, work really great for that as well to a degree. Depth jumps work really great. Some research on depth jumps out there, getting a PAP effect. So mm-hmm. that stuff, even though we're seeing it as a potentiation type exercise and a primer type exercise, we're ticking the box for our power, high-velocity drills at the start of our workout as well. So it's clean two birds with one stone. And then when we go on to, say, our squats, okay, we're slightly, you know, nervous system's feeling good. It's quite, quite exciting. It's ready to go. So we get into our squats. We're feeling good with our squats. We do some heavy squats, let's say, sets of four to six, say. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we spend some time on that. By the time you've done sets of four to six on squats, you and I both know that's 20 minutes down the line. Okay. <laughs> There's those three, four, five minute rest periods between sets or whatever you need to go to replenish ATP system. And then you can transition and have some hypertrophy work after that. Okay. So again, if that's a lower body day, you can do squats. And then we might go on to some, I don't know, some single leg RDLs, which are also functional exercise, single leg, training that proprioception, that balance as well at the same time. But we can hit that within that hypertrophy rep range. We can do rear foot elevated split squats and hit those within that hypertrophy range, especially with soccer players, hamstrings, ACL injuries, and weak hamstrings, right? Because they're used to kicking all the time, they tend to have stronger quadriceps and hamstrings. And as the hamstrings to quadriceps ratio is super important, hammy should always be stronger, and glutes should even be stronger than those. So... Instead of spending our time maybe doing hypertrophy on leg extensions and kind of Mm -hmm. making that ratio potentially a little bit worse, that's not to say they're bad, but we'd probably get more bang for our butt doing it, doing something like hamstring curls in our hypertrophy rep range to get more volume. Sure. Even though we are improving muscle tissue in that hamstring, we are also still improving strength at the same time. We're just improving strength at, at a different level. 
mm-hmm. time, but in a different rep range, you can say improved in strength. So that would be my approach in soccer play. We kind of use like a conjugated style of, of yeah. approach within that, depending on the time you have available. So hypertrophy yeah. work is in there, but it's towards the back end of our workout because, you know, there's going to be some metabolic stress in there anyway, and we can sprinkle in some work. If they've got time at the end to do some calves or forearms and biceps or whatever, absolutely fine. But from an efficient use of time perspective, yeah. it's going to be hit the meat and potatoes exercises first yeah. and yeah. then you know, lead into everything else. Yeah. So just for clarification's sake, when you say like the hypertrophy rep range, are you talking about like the 8 to 12 rep range or what is that for you? Yeah, um, this is someone I've been Except about. All ranges can promote hypertrophy, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago and discussed this with them actually. Well, I'll word it differently for you. So, yes, likes of Brad Schoenfeld, yeah, brought some great research on hypertrophy. And in general, we can build muscle at three reps, six reps. We can build muscle at 30 reps. Okay. Some, mm-hmm. some things might say you can build muscle at eight reps and 20 reps. Some things say you can build muscle at three reps up to 30 reps. Either way, there's a really big rep range yep. there. So <laughs> if you're true, doing a true hypertrophy stimulating set, I'm doing sets of 30. If you're able to do three sets of 30, the weight probably wasn't enough. Okay, mm. because you, you haven't seen that fatigue setting, you've not properly hit that. Okay, yeah. we know that. Okay, while we don't need to hit failure within that hypertrophy rep range. So, for example, if I was doing sets of ten, I don't need to rep nine. Rep nine's looking a bit shaky. Rep ten, I just about get it up. We don't need to be doing that, but we do to optimize be need to be within about two reps of that okay okay so if, if we're trying to hit four sets of eight we might be using something more like a 10 rm so we're always a little bit off or and this is just me and what i believe i do believe that you should push pretty close to technical failure most mm. sets okay or as close as you can in hypertrophy work apart from times where we might want to hold back we might might want to leave for, let's say for a deadlift, you might want to leave two reps in reserve just to keep it safe. Yeah, you know, for sure. Done. Yep. Even if it's in a, in a hypertrophy rep range. If you're going for something like 30 reps, okay, it's really hard to establish the load that you truly need to be able to do that. Because by the time you get to 30 reps, it's either the cardiovascular system that's going to give out first, or you just get bored. So if someone gets to 30 reps, I, if I, and I said to them, okay, do 10 more. They could probably get 10 more, okay? And the same, if I told someone to do 20 reps, they could probably get, if I asked them, they could probably get another six, okay? Mm. If they got 20 in their head, they're going to stop at 20. But the reality is they can always do more. So we talk about that typical hypertrophy rep range. I genuinely believe that old school, eight to 12 reps is just a good place to stay in because it means it, it's heavy enough to kind of gauge where you need to be and to be pushing as close to failure or one to two reps short failure within that range without your cardiovascular system kicking first board and kicking in fast and go from that. And then if, for example, on the final, let's say you're doing three sets of 10 and on the final set, 10, you say in your head, you know what? No, two more, two more. And you hit 12, great, okay? But, you know, we don't need to be hitting those, those super high reps. So sure, you can build muscle at 30, 20 reps but it's one of those where practically speaking it doesn't actually grow much muscle because that person tends to not stick to it they tend to not actually pick the right loads especially if you let themselves select so we tend to stay away from that completely and then when it comes down to that lower rep range you know, we start to play about sometimes for hypertrophy work i'll play about with sets of five to seven for that you know functional hypertrophy range maybe keep the rest periods a little bit shorter, maybe focus on more eccentric overload with that. So we've got, we you know, need to generate force for a long period of, of, of the set versus, yeah. for example, your typical kind of tempo that you might be using. But you've just got to be careful about how you do that. 
You've got to be really dominating the way. You've got to have the hypertrophy work, more of an internal focus and more of a focus mm. on where you are feeling and what's actually working rather than the tendency when you're lifting a little bit more and you're using those lower rep ranges to focus more on the performance outcome and the bar moving up as quick as you possibly can or the weight on the bar. So, yeah. and, and that's, so you've, you've just got to find that sweet spot. And, and, and for me and a lot of my clients over the years, the high pressure rep range is, is still eight to, it's still eight to 12. Right. I'm glad you mentioned like all those little nuances because that was kind of the impetus for my question of like, how would you like program hypertrophy for a strength power field or court based athlete and then a strength and power strength sport athlete? Because I think there are little nuances differently. Like we know, like there's this broad range of reps that we can stimulate muscle growth and hypertrophy. And then yet, we may not want to employ all those for a strength and power athlete. However, and this is where I kind of would like you to go next, it may be beneficial for the strength sport athlete. And so take this into then how you would structure this, how you would program it. Maybe for someone who I'm thinking a powerlifter, maybe even a crossfitter, who they've got performance-based aspects of the way that they train and, and they have the goals, but they still have aesthetic aspects or they maybe even need to improve body composition to improve their performance. And I think where maybe a lot of people have the, this idea in their head that the goals of improving performance and body comp simultaneously are mutually exclusive is because I think traditional and classical strength conditioning has really pumped up the interference effect. And <laughs> I think we've seen from CrossFit in, in particular how maybe it's a little overblown in some when it comes to these really general characteristics like strength and power and, and whatnot. But what's your approach to this? Like, what would be some considerations? And then are there any really take-home ways you would structure training in a general sense with these types of athletes yeah so let's take it to an athlete like a tennis player okay where explosive lateral movements etc mm -hmm. are involved within what they do and then we'll kind of go down the crossfit powerlifter etc route like that but just want to touch on if you're a tennis player right or mm -hmm. a similar sport a lot of change of direction quite explosive work and in between lots of movements etc Yes, there needs to be an element of hypertrophy work within what they do and to help set those foundations out. However, realistically, the amount of time that you have to develop any muscle tissue is actually very small. And that's just because of how their season will look and also how much actually work they're putting in every single day. They'll be, even in the off season, they're not playing. They will be for hours every day doing cardio basically doing kind of explosive jumps and, and lateral movements etc even if it's an easy day now you think about the, the shock that travels through your shoulders that especially that eccentric when you are serving mm. overhead and you're decelerating and yep. that's happening repeatedly okay yep. so the reality is hypertrophy work is fatiguing we're purposefully creating some fatigue it's it's, it's it's one of the mechanisms involved in hypertrophy, but there is always going to be some fatigue related yep. to hypertrophy work. It's going to be tiring, okay? Um, so if you're doing that coupled with lots of tennis work during the day, which is standard throughout the year, then you're probably not going to get an optimal effect. So what you're mm -hmm. doing with your tennis player is you treat all your hypertrophy work as a priority in the off-season or kind of the very, very early off-season you might literally have six weeks and that's it. Mm. And then you mm. need to start transitioning more into more specific work and explosive power work. So it almost happens naturally as a result of the sport and the schedule. You just can't, as a tennis player, pack on loads of size. It's yeah. just not going to happen because mm -hmm. realistically, you're using most of your calories, most of your nutrients towards your tennis. Yeah. And you're prioritizing performance during your tennis versus yeah, your, your hypertrophy work. 
if you're fatigued from hypertrophy work and then you're going to go, or you've got some doms, say, the next day and Mm -hmm. you're going to go and play tennis, your mechanics are going to be completely off, right? And you're just not going to feel right at all. So you're screwing up those movement patterns. So it's dictated to by the sport. Rugby, they they could be year-round in the gym. Football, to a degree, they can kind of be in the gym doing small amounts throughout the year just based on their schedule and, and what generally coaches allow to happen. Football, for example, though, in, in, during the season, it's more of a maintenance phase, a lot of rehab, prehab type stuff in the gym you're doing. Your only goal literally is just to make sure that they're on the field of the weekend. That's it. Not <laughs> on the field, mm-hmm. you tick your box as a strength and conditioning coach. You're not necessarily chasing performance improvements. Yeah. So let's go down the, the CrossFit route. So CrossFit, your hybrid athlete route, okay? So when it comes to CrossFit, the, the way I see CrossFit is, is as the sport, okay? So if you are competing in CrossFit, then you're going to be training in CrossFit and you're going to be performing movements based on you know competitions. You're going to be doing the wads, et cetera, because you want to perform your best and you're going to train to pass those tests, et cetera, mm-hmm. to your, the best of your ability. So from the get-go, your mindset is probably going to be to chase those performance outcomes rather than necessarily the body composition outcomes. That being said, that be, that's your tendency. That being said, because of the amount of volume naturally that occurs with a lot of CrossFit workouts, and you and I both know some boxes and some coaches are a lot better than other CrossFit sure. coaches, okay, yep. the boxes. If you're with a good coach or in a good environment and doing things smart and programming smart, the sheer volume of performance-based work that you're doing will result in hypertrophy work taking place. And we see that with especially a lot of the women and yeah, and the men. And we see those massively developed traps because the amount of Olympic lifts that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a, as an mm-hmm. example. And yeah. they're insane abs because they've been doing toes to bar, etc., as part of their training. So you're naturally going to see some hypertrophy work there. The downside to that is they're going to be creating more hypertrophy, stimulating more hypertrophy in those areas that they're utilizing more within those CrossFit workouts. And there are always certain exercises that always come up. They're the same movements mm-hmm. that always come up. Right? Yeah. We, we always have some kind of a squat, an overhead press, clean cleans and jerks, things like that. They always come up, but we don't get many rowing exercises come up. We sometimes get chin-ups, sure, we do, okay? However, if we're doing chin-ups and pull-ups, just bear in mind they're working your lats, and your lats are an internal rotator of your shoulders, so they're pulling your shoulder blades forwards exactly like your pecs would. So this is actually technically quite an anterior training exercise, even though you're doing a pull. So what naturally happens as a result of doing a lot of CrossFit body, you develop more hypertrophy and strength in those muscles that are good, in, and, and more involved in that sport, whilst also leaving other muscles behind. So as an example, one Isaac, you can tell someone with their shirts off is in great shape from the back if they're a crossfitter because they don't have very good redouts, okay? The crossfitters <laughs> just do not have good redouts. They look absolutely great from the front, right? Proper v mm-hmm. proper X-ray, yep. nice yep. and wide, capped outs, good anterior doubts, kind of good medial doubts ish as soon as they turn <laughs> to the side they start to disappear because they're yeah, like they're where's period doubts i just yeah yeah so <laughs> when we come back to you mentioned hamstrings to quadriceps ratio but you know muscles can only pull in one direction we need those antagonists to be as strong as each other as as, as much as they need to be to keep us in good positions as well and that also is part of that is building the size of that engine to, a, to yeah. a level, as well as building how much output you can get from that engine as well. It's, but it, it's very similar to like a, a car, right? Where we can throw in a massive big engine, right? But the bigger the engine, not necessarily the faster the car. 
we can get some super fast car. Yeah, you know, we can get some super fast two liter supercharged, super two liter turbo cars out there that will trash a five liter naturally aspirated car, for example. But that's also because it's lighter. It's carrying less of an engine as well. It's got an amount in there. It's got a good level of power. It's got a good level of size in there. But it doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily need to be up here. If you're going to talk about your rugby player, well, rugby players need to push things, move things, pull things. So them having some mass, weighing more, is actually making it harder for them to be stopped as well mm-hmm. that that impulse momentum relationship it's an overcoming inertia it's hard to it's hard to stop that person it's yeah. harder for them to get going but it's harder for them to stop as well whereas yeah if you're looking to be light on your toes then and it's the same with crossfit like right we wouldn't look at all the crossfit games they're not just lifting they're lifting and then quickly run into the next one quickly run into the next one <laughs> Or yep. they're running with something super heavy in, in front of them, a heavy sandbag or a strongman bag or something. So there's still a lot of speed work involved. And they so for them to be super heavy, for example, we look at a strongman competitor, they do some tasks that can look to the average person very similar to CrossFit. So mm-hmm. CrossFit do some very similar things. You know, you talk, you talk about doing farmers type carries uh, and we talk about doing atlas stone things with atlas stone yep and they used in, in, in both however your heavy guy over here is obviously able to do it with a lot more weight they can also absorb more of the weight onto their bellies for example from a massive atlas stone because they, they built that and their weight is an advantage they only need to be For taking sure. small quick fast steps to get to the next point Whereas CrossFit, you need to be that that good all-rounder as well. Yeah. But from an aesthetic perspective, we pull a CrossFit in that's doing, been doing years of performance work. You can see what areas need to be improved on. Most of the time, it's going to be everything from the back. They'll, they'll have great yeah. hamstrings. They might have okay glutes, but you know, and probably a strong lower back, but their upper back rear delts are probably going to be lacking. So again, it goes back to that needs analysis. You look at you know what areas have you historically worked the most, or what visually looks stronger. If we do a test, what is stronger or weaker, and and we work on your weak points, so your body's all uh-huh. working nicely together in harmony, and you're more injury resilient as well at the same time. For sure. So when people are looking to kind of blend performance based aspects and body composition hypertrophy because i think you've done a good job of highlighting where that's beneficial particularly for the strength and power strength athlete where do people go wrong like i do crossfit 75 percent of the time and there's people do who do work outside of the wad or, or same thing with i guess with power lifters they've got a very specific performance outcome they're going for and they want it at a high level but yet they can't number one they can't do that all the time they can't just do max effort method all the time. They've got to do other things. And then, as you mentioned, there's benefits to doing that. But where do people go wrong when trying to blend performance-based goals and aesthetic-based goals? So I think the the, the term jack of all trades, master of none, Mm. does get thrown around a lot, especially if someone, if you've got someone that's a bit of a CrossFit hater, right? So yeah. If you're training a bit of everything, you're not gonna you're not gonna be the strongest dude in the gym. You're not gonna be the most explosive. You're not gonna be able to run the furthest, whatever. Okay, I don't agree with that statement. As far as um, if you are correctly programming things, I genuinely believe you can be pretty elite. Yeah. At yeah. most aspects. Okay. Yes, you might not be the world's strongest man. If you train CrossFit, you might be not be the world's most jacked man if you train CrossFit, but you might be, you, you're better than most. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Now, what I mean by better than most, we can, let's say we compare that. And, and, and I'll be honest, you know, when CrossFit started to get really big, um, I hated it a little bit because I think you had a lot of, a lot of bad coaches out there, mm. but then the more and more you understand the more that it's the same as 
going to work with a personal trainer, right? There are bad personal trainers out there. There are sure. personal 100%. trainers out there. And yep. unfortunately, CrossFit got a bit of a, a bad rep because there were some of those and viral videos and why people looking like they're having a, a, a fit on a pull-up bar when they're doing a toaster <laughs> bar or peer yeah. themselves when they're doing double unders, whatever. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it, it, it got some hate. However, you compare that done smart, done intelligently, to someone that's just going to the gym from a look great naked perspective. Mm-hmm. They're going to the gym to get in shape, all right? So let's say we're talking about some, a, a 21-year-old guy goes to the gym, first time, they're getting into a routine of, of training consistently, and CrossFit guys hitting three days a week, gym guys hitting three days a week, they're, they're spending the equal amount of time. Now, what happens with the gym guy is that the gym guy probably doesn't have any guidance, for one. Okay, they probably don't have someone overlooking them. They've just gone to a gym and they've got ideas off of other people. They've also got ideas off of what they've seen on the net, on social media, and things like that. And then what naturally happens more with guys than the women is that the ego is a strong, um, strong driver of what's being done. So, for example, we would typically see lots of bench pressing. How much weight can you get on the bar, right? We wouldn't see, I don't know, building up some basic push-up strength, for example. (laughs) We would see a bench press. We might see some deadlifts if they're confident enough to do them. They wouldn't be the nicest deadlifts, but we might see some deadlifts. But then we're mostly going to be seeing leg extensions, hamstring curls, etc., which are great hypertrophy exercises, okay? However... We compare that to someone who's having something more structured to do mm-hmm. where, yes, they are covering some strength work, some power work, and some hypertrophy work within the same workout or within the same week. Because they've got that structure, they are probably going to see equally, if not maybe even better, body composition changes than that person that, that's not having any of the structure in their training and just doing the exercises they think they should be doing in the rep ranges they think they should be doing. So that's my take on it, and it, and it is down to structure. If mm. we compare that to someone who has a, okay, my clients, for example, right? They set foot in the gym, they know exactly what they're doing. They're following it to the letter, okay? Or most of them, they're following it to the team. Logging, logging down on how much weight they're lifting each workout. So they log down their weight. They see what they lifted last week. I my NC nice pretty looking graphs of improvements and things like that and all changes that are being made. And it's super motivating. They're striving to make improvements week in, week out. And and, and we can all regulate that, auto regulate that as well, but they they tend to be making some, some improvements. Yes, they're gonna be making the more superior targeted improvements in that hypertrophy region if they are chasing hypertrophy, but they're mm-hmm. not gonna be making much improvement in terms of strength power yeah but again that person's got a lot of coaching that person's got a lot of structure whereas and the crossfit person's got a lot of structure but we take that down to the said principle specific mm-hmm. adaptation to impose demands and you, you train whatever you train for more you're going to get better at it, okay so if, if we train for some hypertrophy some strength some power even if we've structured that well and they can complement each other, we're going to get a little bit of each. But because we're training in a nice structured way, we are going to be improving at a quite a fast rate with that. For sure. For sure. I think what I'd also like to, like to note as well on, on top of that, so talked about earlier about potentiation type work. Now, potentiation type work, so doing some PAP stuff, doing some explosive drills, doing some power drills at the start of your workout. Those don't have to necessarily be solely for your strength, power, athlete, or crossfitter, something like that's actually needing to be able to snatch, clean, jerk, whatever. Your bodybuilder, for example, can get a lot out of those drills as well because we're potentiating the nervous system Mm -hmm. and we're allowing ourselves to lift just a little bit more. So if we're hitting our three sets of 10 with 80 pounds one week, and then we do some potentiation stuff and hitting, doing three sets of 10 with 85 pounds, then we're going to be creating more hypertrophy because, because of that potentiation type effect. 
Yeah. And it's the same when we go to, say, the CrossFit style. If you've trained your power type stuff first, it's going to somewhat potentiate your strength type work. Now, I don't know about you, but the, the, pat, the potentiation on a heavy barbell back squat is very obvious when you go to a lighter exercise straight afterwards and how, how light that feels. Anyone can go to four sets of five on a back squat, for example, or a trap bar deadlift and go and do some, go and do a, a set of, I don't know, high rep, hypertrophy based split squats or something afterwards, even those first few reps are going to be like, wow, I'm moving quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fatigue, fatigue will set in. But my point being, if we're doing more that hybrid approach and we're training for a little bit of everything, and then, yeah, sure, with the CrossFit, you might be doing the conditioning work as well. But there's somewhat of an overlap between those and somewhat of a complementary effect by following that back to that point of structure as well. Mm-hmm. But then that mm-hmm. also means there's some stuff we can learn by for the bodybuilder out there, the people that want to grow some muscle, that they can lift heavier sometimes, they can lift in those lower rep ranges sometimes. They can do some explosive power work because it improves other things. Yeah. And heavens forbid if they if you're a bodybuilder and you you have to quickly run somewhere or jump out the way someday you need some power and as we get older velocity reduces faster power reduces faster than anything else so Mm -hmm. maintaining an element of power is also also important for that bodybuilder aesthetic focused person as well yeah Man, you hit on a lot of great things that I'll actually pump two previous episodes that dive even deeper into the, some of the stuff you mentioned. So if you're really interested in the CrossFit programming, I have, a, I have an episode with Nick DeMarco on that where he has a really deep dive on how he does structure CrossFit programming and then switching up your training goal and style for a while, like the bodybuilder. But you, it would be good for your bodybuilder for some times of the year to do some true power work or some, or spend some time getting stronger. And then it would also benefit the powerlifter to do the same. Obviously, they're just going maybe more on the hypertrophy side of things because that's less of their focus. But Crystal Guevara talked about that in her episode on returning from injury and using some of these goals as ways to keep training while you're injured and you can't push the intensity as much. And the other aspect of this that CrossFit has somewhat highlighted and it's gaining popularity is the importance of having a somewhat well-developed aerobic system, cardiovascular system. And the pendulums, the, the pendulums currently swung in one direction and it'll swing back to hip high intensity interval training here pretty soon, probably in the next few years. But the concept will remain the same is like, you need to switch it up at certain times. And that will be beneficial for you, especially if you are a little bit more of a general type jack of all trades, want to look good, feel good, be a little, have a little bit more muscle mass or be a little bit stronger than the average person. Um, and then obviously, if you're a very specific athlete, like a sprinter or a sh- like an Olympic weightlifter or a shot put thrower, you've got to be a little more careful with it. But by and large, I think like, like I said earlier in the episode, the interference effect gets blown really out of proportion, I think. So I think you've highlighted some really great things that people can consider when they're looking at their own training, looking at their own programming. So, Gareth, if people want to learn more, you've talked a lot about, you talked earlier about your social media. So people obviously have been talked about that, but what, what else do you have going on? Like, where else can people find you? Or if they want to dive into more what you're doing, what can people look for? Yeah. So I'm pretty boring answer here. Google my name. Yeah. It's like, Google my name, Google all of my past articles from, for example, I think T Nation will come right to the top there because there's sure. a bunch on there. There's hundreds of articles on T Nation. If you want to read some of my stuff, you get some articles from Men's Health and things like that pop up as well. But then you'll get the fitnessmaverick.com pop up. Mm-hmm. The fitnessmaverick.com is my my home site. And then hostels that have all the links that we're kind of talking about here. So 
whether it be a link to the ultimate abs book by human genetics from human genetics that's on there you've got various articles that i've written exclusively for that site my youtube videos i embed in there as well but then you've got services there as well that, that i offer on top of that as well you've also got a three video series a physique training perfection series i call it so you get oh, cool. four weeks worth of emails sent straight to your inbox where I'm going through you know, the, the meat and potatoes exercises for every single body part. So for example, video one, I think is maybe 30 minutes long looking at chest and shoulders. Number two is looking at hamstrings and glutes. Probably could, could be completely wrong with that order, but you know, there's a whole series of, of yeah. videos out there straight to your inbox. So you can awesome. pop down and get, get some free stuff as well. Awesome. Gareth, man, thank you so much for your time and uh, safe travels across the pond tomorrow. Thank you. We'll do it. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Performance Connection podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review, share on social media, and on Instagram, tag at Performance Connection Podcast, all one word. The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition. Thanks again, and I hope you'll keep listening or check out other episodes.